Hey, everybody. This is not Tom Coyne. This is your resident Golfers Journal intern, Casey Bannon. Sorry to disappoint. The Golfers Journal podcast presented by Titleist will return next week, where we'll sit down with our old friend Chris Solomon of No Laying Up. So stay tuned for that. But today on GolfersJournal.com, we released a new piece entitled Now What? Where contributing writer Will Bardwell poses and reports on a very specific question. After golf's biggest summer in decades, what will and should one struggling golf courses do with all their unexpected COVID boom revenue? Now, this is obviously a difficult and somewhat uncomfortable subject to broach given the circumstances. However, as Will so elegantly begins the piece by declaring, this is not a silver lining story. And as the following will hopefully demonstrate, the answers to that question are complex and worth dissecting. So with that, I gave Mr. Bardwell a ring to dig a little deeper and try to make sense of where this game will take us next. Here's what was said. Hello? Hey, can you hear me? Yes, I can. How about you? I can hear you loud and clear. Is it too loud? No, it's perfect. Awesome. You sound great. Oh, man, I'd never sound great, but I appreciate you saying No, that. you have that, that I, don't, I don't know if it's a drawl or a, what is it? That's a Savannah thing, right? What is a? It's definitely a, yeah, the Yankees call it a drawl. We hmm. just call it talking. <laughs> <laughs> Did I out myself? <laughs> well, I mean, you're from Virginia. You're sort of. I'm, I grew up confused, honestly. They told me the Mason-Dixon line was uh, above me. I felt, I felt very northern. Um, it just have, didn't make a lot yeah, of sense. I have always just had to accept the way lawyers have to accept things that, that don't make sense to them, that Virginia is part of the South. <laughs> um, I guess if you're, if you're from Massachusetts, Virginia's in the South, but, uh, yes. yeah. you know, all my, I, all my people were always in Mississippi, Louisiana. And so everything, Everything north of Tennessee was always north to me. Mm. Yeah, they, uh, I dated a girl from Rhode Island. She said I had a little southern twang going on, and I immediately broke up with her on the spot. <laughs> this isn't going to work. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. Um, cool. Well, it's good to hear your voice. Um, Likewise. And let's just jump into it. The title of the piece is Now What? Uh, after Golf's Unexpected Boom. The decisions facing one struggling courses will impact the future of the game. And you can read it on golfersjournal.com with any Golfers Journal subscription that includes digital, standard, and premium. Now that my plugs are done, Will, um, what got you thinking about this topic in the first place? And and also, why do you think now is an appropriate time to have this conversation? Well, I mean, I, I got interested in this question for the same reason i I stumble on a lot of story ideas. It was just a, a question that sort of occurred to me one day that I wanted to know more about and looked around and saw that nobody else had written about it yet and kind of figured, well, I, what specifically though is that question? The question is what should golf courses that are enjoying the fruits of this COVID boomlet, Mm. what should they be doing with extra revenue? You know, we, we all have this course down the street from our house that we love to play, but it's really ragged around the edges. And we say, gosh, if, if they just had a little extra money and could put a little bit into the course, this would be a really special place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those places are suddenly having a boom in play and presumably a, 
uptick in associated revenue that they haven't seen in years and years. And what should they be doing with this extra revenue to position themselves for after the boomlet ends? Right. And so you essentially surveyed what you would call thought leaders in the space. There was there's Tom Doak, there's Andy Staples, there's Rob Collins. So there's the, there's the architectural side. Um, there's the golf management side with Tony Frangri up in of a Canal Shores in a couple different places. Was there an answer that you got back that surprised you? I was surprised on both sides of that uh, of that divide, both on the design side and the management side. Uh, that you got answers on both sides that came back invest in labor. Mm. Like I expected you would get some people on the management side. Uh, who would say, oh, we need, you ought to invest in more employees, and that you would get people on the design side and say, oh, you ought to invest in architecture. But actually, there was, there were people on both sides who said the thing that might make the biggest difference in a lot of places is just bringing on one or two more people onto the maintenance staff. Mm. That surprised me a little bit. On the golf maintenance staff? Yes, yes, on the the day-to-day golf maintenance staff. But I think that that's a fairly simple concept to wrap your arms around, right? Like one or two more people equals a little bit better greens, a little bit cleaner tee boxes, which equals perhaps, you know, repeat customers or, um, you know, player X choosing this golf course over the one next door. Um, but I, what I thought personally was interesting was when you start to look at it, uh, the programmatic side, right? Um, the investment in practice areas, um, the investment in youth uh, programs, right? Um, were you surprised that more people were not discussing that? Because it seems like, um, and I'm just going to throw my own personal opinions in the mix, being out on the road um, in this Golfer's Journal van, which I'm sitting in right now, again, recording, um, you see it at places like Jeffersonville, you see it at the Cradle, you see it at... Um, uh, uh, Sand Valley with the sandbox. There, there's these short courses. There are these these golf adjacent um, ideas to bring people in. But I was surprised that um, we were still talking sort of about the same things. The the upgrade of maintenance, taking a couple trees out. Um, I, I'm interested to to hear your opinions on why why they're not thinking more uh, programmatic in that sense. That's a that's a really great question. You're right. It it didn't come up. Um, it may have to do with the fact that you know these people are all deep in the weeds of the industry, and they may be all under the assumption, as as Tom Doak was explicitly, that any upticks in revenue are going to be, I guess, modest for for lack of a, a better way to put it. I, I think Jaeger Kovic explained to me that if you if you got more people on the course, then there are going to be more costs associated with that too. So it's not just free money. Mm. Uh, if you got, you know, more groups going around every day, that means you're going to have more groups teeing off on par threes, which are going to chew up the tees on your par threes, uh, and are going to require extra time the next day, you know, helping bring that back. Um, and so it, it may just be that any you know, any extra money coming from this is not going to be a dramatic amount of money where you can just fundamentally change the mission of your golf course. Isn't that a bit startling? Not to cut you off, but I mean, after looking at some of these numbers, it's definitely 
the biggest summer the golf industry has had, you know, perhaps Tiger 97. Um, and essentially what they're now saying is that the margins aren't great and, you know, there's not that meant much extra revenue, whereas I'm here and I can't get a tee time for, for the entire summer. So does that speak to a larger problem moving forward for golf that even in their, um, even at its highest demand, there's just not a lot of wiggle room to improve? Gosh, that's a, that's a really great question. And, um, that, that's probably a topic for another uh, sorry, golfers sorry. journal story. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, but it's a, tre- it's a tremendous question and it, it gets to a bigger question. that's sort of lurking in the background of the story, which is, I mean, the whole point of this story is what, what happens after the boom, lift, right? Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you use this moment in time to position yourself to be more competitive after COVID than you were before? Right. And, and, you know, I mean, how easy is it to survive uh, in a desert when somebody turns the water off? You know, it, maybe the water was running for nine months, but once it turns off, can, you know, it's not easy. Yeah. Uh, and it may it may be that a lot of these places that were struggling before COVID go back to struggling after COVID. Right. Um, I, I don't know. Well, we equated it to uh, when we spoke about the piece about the gym after new year's right like Mm -hmm. uh it's it's full in january it's full in february it starts to thin out a little bit in march and a little bit more in april and by may you have your favorite bench back i would know because i work out um uh but apply congratulations no (laughs) apply that (laughs) analogy to golf and i'm just strictly asking you your opinion now Mm -hmm. um do you think that over the course of the summer and into this winter, golf is is succeeding in creating new lifelong customers, or are is the gym going to be empty again in come May? You know, that question reminds me of a, a path that I've walked during the the COVID era as it relates to this uptick in participation. Mm. You know, when when the when we were all quarantining back in the spring, and we all started hearing these stories about nobody being able to get a tea time on their local course. I thought that this was just anecdotal, Mm -hmm. you know, all the, all the long-term trends about participation in golf are bad. Mm -hmm. And so I I thought surely the onset of a national recession is not the moment where golf is going to rally, but sure enough, once you got to June and July and, uh, you started getting some hard data in about how many rounds were being played over the spring. We found out it was real. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just anecdotal stories that it, it really was an uptick in play and, and a massive uptick in play. Yep. And so to, to bring it back to your analogy, what happens in, in May when, uh, you know, when COVID goes away and people have, uh, have things to do other than go to the gym uh, metaphorically speaking, mm-hmm. I don't know. My guess is that the long-term trends set back in, but I've already been wrong about that once because mm-hmm. I, I thought that this thing wasn't real to begin with, and mm-hmm. it is. Well, you're wrong a lot. Um, That's fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll maybe take it a step further, though, because um, we're we're sort of keying in on that, as you uh, so elegantly mentioned that course down the street, right? And everyone has a different picture of what that looks like. 
Um, but do you think golf's gatekeepers and governing bodies, whoever they are, um, air quotes, do you think they even care that they have the song of the summer, like that they had the smash hit? Um, because I'm, I'm imagining that, you know, they're going to be okay without it. Gosh, that's a great question. Um, and I mean, that speaks to a bigger issue, which is that the people governing golf are, they're immune from a lot of the problems that our little local course down the street has. Uh, so I, I don't know. Mm. Uh, there, it had sort of set in before this spring that golf was going through a contraction and that that was in terms of the long-term health of the game, a good thing, Yeah, you know, and you, you don't have to agree with that, but that does seem to have been where the thought was, um, among people in leadership positions. And now that the people who, you know, the people in golf courses who were perhaps on the, on the verge of slipping under the, the financial waves, now that they've found a lifeboat for fiscal year 2020, mm -hmm. uh, what does that change the dynamics of the conversation at all? Uh, does it show people in positions of leadership that, you know, if with just a little bit of tinkering around the edges, maybe these places can become viable. And, and at that point, you're talking about not just keeping golf courses in business, uh, but, you know, offering the offering everything that they bring to their communities to to those people so i, I don't know what's going to happen but i i guess ultimately i'm expecting the long-term trends to stay what they are but i'd love to be wrong about that what's your problem with bojangles well just that it's terrible um <laughs> i mean I, I, I would you like to expound <laughs> because i just i i i get the sense that you're ordering the wrong thing and that no one should ever look at a Bojangles menu. You should just go up look, with a blindfold and say Cajun Flay biscuit with the fries and seasoning any, and move on with your life. Anytime you own a chicken restaurant where the best thing on the menu isn't chicken, it's a biscuit. No, there's then a chicken got, inside the biscuit. There's two biscuits yeah, but and there's chicken inside it. Everything you talk to anybody that what's the, what does Bojangles do well? And it's always, Oh, their biscuits are so good. First of all, their biscuits are average. But I mean, the, the <laughs> your Cajun fillet biscuit is is an abomination. By the way, if you want Cajun chicken and mm. a biscuit, go mm. to Popeyes. K I mean, Popeyes actually makes Cajun Cajun chicken. Yeah, but they don't present it as a breakfast option. Like, well, I don't even I know mean, what time Popeye's opens. And l let me just say, let me preface 10 this. By, I don't, 10 a.m. 10 a.m. There's no reason to wake up before 10 a.m. Maybe in the Deep South it opens at 10 a.m. But here in California, it does not open at 10 a.m. Um, all I'm saying is that uh, the when people say to you that Bojangles is known for their biscuit, their biscuit, Cajun filet biscuit, has become so good and synonymous with the biscuit that they don't even have to mention there's chicken in there. We just know what they're talking about. If, if you trust a fast food restaurant in California to define oh, I've had it in many like what good, good Cajun cooking is, you, you've got bigger problems than just than choosing between than choosing between Popeye's and Bojang. That's unfair I mean, because the people are going to think that I was born and raised here and you know that's not true. And that's yes, of course, v Virginia, the hotbed of uh, of Cajun that's cuisine right. in America. That's right. Talk about it. Um, 
Can I ask you a personal question? I think you just did, oh. but uh, let's have another one. <laughs> what hat do you enjoy wearing more? Your, your civil rights attorney in Mississippi hat or your deep south golf blogger Twitter troll? Which one's more fulfilling to you? <laughs> Am I a Twitter troll? I don't. That's what the streets are saying. The streets. I don't have enough followers on Twitter for the streets to uh, to be discussing. You get some engagement. Um, I, I yeah. I mean, it's a niche audience. Uh, <laughs> You're talking to the assistant editor of a, a quarterly print golf publication. Don't, don't talk to me about niches. <laughs> no, I um, I feel like I have the best two jobs in the world. Mm. Um, I I love practicing law and uh, and being able to do it in a way that, uh, that helps people, uh, in a, in a place where people, you know, unfortunately need that help. Um, often it's, mm-hmm. it's the reason I went to law school. I, I went to law school because I wanted to represent people who, who need help and, and work on cases that, that deserve your time. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love writing for the golfer's journal and, uh, telling stories about, golf uh, in the part of the world that I call home. Mm. So, uh, you know, people, sometimes people ask me, you know, would you ever leave the practice of law to go do this full time? And I, I say, why, why would I do that? I have the two best jobs in the world and I love them both. And why would I give one of them up? Yeah. I would like to know how you do both. I think you work on a, I think you may have a different clock than the rest of us. Um, but I, uh, I'm certainly glad you do. It was a tremendous story. Um, tremendous read in the Golfers Journal Digital. Uh, we will we will be seeing a lot more Will Bardwell bylines, hopefully, uh, in and out of print. So go give it a read, Will. Thank you. It's always fun, and I miss you. My pleasure. Uh, come down, see me sometime in Jackson. We'll go to Popeyes. We'll we'll cure you forever. This Bojangles thing. I look forward to it. Thank you, friend. All right, brother. All right, bye.